0: New week, we get it going on midday from the Rural Radio Network. Dirk Christiansen with you here as we surround ourselves with all the people, with all the information from all points around the globe, and we're going to turn to our representative from the Ag team today. That's Clay, who's going to tell us what, or, where we can expect. What from whom today? Well,
1: we're starting off Monday with a lot of information, just getting the week started off right. 1219, Chad Moyer on with Midwest Dairy and their Nebraska Division Chair, Lyle Muller. And uh, he's talking about hope for consumers and how consumers always come first in the ag industry. 1245, I jump on with the U.S. Meat Export Federation uh, and Joe Shealy the us we're discussing mexico's proposed uh, beef grading system and it somewhat resembles the us in name but not in quality so what's kind of at stake there and what the united states meat export federation is doing on that front and then at 117 we have bruce gorder the new iowa secretary of ag mike nag he's getting sworn in so uh more there on the
0: iowa front Okay, we'll look forward to all of that. Thanks very much. And we got reports uh, from just about every possible show that's out there going on during the course of this last week or so. Let's uh, move over to uh, Mr. Uh, Jason Jorgensen, who kind of hanging our heads low as Nebraskans. We got shown the door. They did.
2: Uh, The Huskers have to play the waiting game this week, although I don't think that will turn out to be a positive for them when it comes to getting an NCAA tournament bid, but you never know. Uh, This is a huge week for NCAA tournament basketball, as most of the conference tournaments will take place, unlike the Big Ten, who chose to stage theirs a week ahead of everybody else so they could be in... New York and
0: does it <laughs> seem to you as though the Big 10 just does that just to be a little thorn in the side of the rest uh, of the group. I don't
2: know a lot of the a uh, lot of the media uh, did not like that idea. Also it made no sense to me to run your men's tournament and at the same time as the women's tournament and it kind of took away from both. So yeah. We'll see if they go back there well, in the future. It stretches the personnel a little ways. Too. A little bit, and it stretches <laughs> your TV partners. Yes, but it does. No one asked us. No, they did not. <laughs> so we'll touch on some NCAA tournament talk coming up in sports. Also, we'll talk some Husker baseball. They were able to salvage their weekend with a 10 9 win yesterday over Wichita State. That's the first loss of the season for the Shockers. The Huskers have a big home stand coming up. They will play their first home game of the season on Thursday as they will take on Cal Poly. I haven't looked too far ahead to see what the forecast is supposed to be, but okay. hopefully they can get those games in. So we'll touch on all of that and anything else that pops up. All right,
0: very good. What's popping over there on the business desk, Bob?
1: Stocks are higher after an earlier, after an early wobble of things. And so we're watching uh, as the Dow, the NASDAQ, and the S&P are all up right now. Um, technology companies and banks are leading the stocks higher. Also, uh, Warren Buffett's firm has added a German real estate broker to its network. And, of course, the financial terms weren't disclosed. They never are. Mm-hmm. Uh, on top of that, uh, Mr. Trump says no tariff relief for neighbors so he's talking a little bit more about the uh the tariff situation and of course there's a little bit of news being made in that area yeah
0: the business shell game it always makes me wonder uh how many people named unknown can eat how many soybeans that's what i'm always asking that question that's
1: a a big question that's
0: a big question it's all coming up for you today on midday now let's take a look at your ag weather, and it's being brought to you by Coolman Repair and for Paul Perkins under Christensen. Well, there is a lot of wind, and it's going to stay for a while in the forecast. In fact, winter weather advisories are also issued as part of that, and that's affecting most of northeastern Nebraska at this hour, although we're seeing some areas of that precipitation that have caught up with that cold wind and uh, have moved in from just about the York area on over into and past the Lincoln area and the Omaha Metro. We're looking at an area that is bordered basically on the south and west by a line from approximately Columbus up to Wagner, South Dakota. And all of that is seeing some light to moderate freezing precipitation during the course of the morning. Of course, areas further to the north into the eastern half of South Dakota, almost all of North Dakota, parts of Minnesota, and grazing the corner of Iowa now, all with significant winter weather. And we're seeing the uh, possibility of that wrapping around as there's a strong uh, component that is uh, blowing that uh, precipitation kind of up and around. So we'll watch that with some interest. Blizzard warnings remain in effect for the north through Tuesday. High wind warnings, of course, in effect for western and central Nebraska on through this evening and Tuesday to some extent. Looking for today to see partly to mostly cloudy skies with rain changing to snow in the east and east central. And down into parts of the southeast, the northeast, with some significant blowing snow probabilities. Partly cloudy. North-central and northeast tonight with snow and blowing snow through the night. Look for 20 to 30 in the state forecast for Nebraska, particularly in that north-central-northeast area. And then on Tuesday, becoming partly cloudy with the blowing snow in the north and northeast on to late afternoon tomorrow. And that rain-snow mix for parts of the east-central and southeast that could be affecting your travel conditions. Right now here at the Lexington studios with 38 degrees under a partly cloudy sky with 39% relative humidity. Those winds have been clocked for the most part through the day, sustained up to about 30 to 40 miles an hour. Right now northwest at 35 and gust to 51 miles an hour. Some open areas seeing gusts up to as high as 60 are possible. The snow totals around parts of northeast Nebraska and parts of eastern South Dakota have ranged on the average 2 to uh, two and a half inches. A few isolated areas, for instance, dual South Dakota up to 4 inches of snow on the ground. And in Marvin, South Dakota, 5 inches of snow has been reported with the passage of this latest winter weather. Very light showers in Argentina. Further drought in the southern plains are the key weather items for commodity trade attention today. The weather forecast calling for those light showers in Argentina during the course of next week. The rainfall, however, is not likely to be enough to change the overall pattern of exhausting and damaging drought in that area. Stress to filling corn and soybeans continues with increasing crop losses expected. Across Brazil, a drier, hotter period for Mata Grosso during the past weekend should continue today. Before showers return later in the week, a drier trend will be favorable for the soybean harvest and second crop corn. The earlier planted corn should benefit from adequate soil moisture after the prior range. Mostly favorable conditions are in effect for filling, maturing and, of course, early harvesting of soybeans in southern Brazil. Across the southern plains, strong winds, warm weather, low humidity levels will be prominent during this early week period. Red flag wildfire warnings and high wind warnings issued for much of the region. And the warm, dry, windy pattern further to the south, increasing stress to wheat, especially in southwest and central areas where it had already been very dry during the entire winter season, but possibly more widespread than that once it's all over. Snow and strong winds for the northern Plains region expected to lead to blizzard conditions for some of those areas we described before. Snow will also develop in the northwest and northern areas of the Midwest. Travel and transport greatly affected in those areas for a day or two. There will be stress to livestock increases as well, especially in areas of that heavy snow and wind. For western central Europe, under more active weather patterns during this week, not anywhere near as cold as it was last week, It will likely mean rain in the west, more rain or snow for central European areas, providing adequate surplus moisture in the key winter wheat and rapeseed areas during the course of the spring. And in South Africa, scattered showers may redevelop later in the week following a dry weekend and early week time frame. The weather pattern will favor filling to early maturing crops in the east following the prior heavy rains in the area. Soil moisture should support favorable development of reproductive to filling corn in the western crop areas. Again, for the remainder of the afternoon, a high wind warning in effect for central Nebraska until 9 p.m. this evening. High wind watch in effect on through Tuesday. This afternoon's high expected in the mid-40s with wind gusts to 55. Tonight, winds will back off to 25 to 40 miles an hour with a low temperature overnight at around 28. And on Tuesday, mostly cloudy with a 20% chance of rain and snow for the morning. A high in the upper 30s with winds again gusting Tuesday. Don't be surprised to see once again 55 miles an hour. Mostly clear for Tuesday night down into the upper teens. Wednesday, sunny at 42. Thursday, 52. Friday, 62. And by the weekend, partly cloudy skies with, again, a smattering of chance of rain cooler with high temperatures expected to be in the low 50s and slightly cooler than that for Sunday. Right now, again, northwest winds at 35 gusting to 51. It's 38 degrees at the Lexington Studios and that is your 880 weather watch. Weather anytime at (laughs) krvn.com.
1: President Trump's steel and aluminum tariffs keep ag producers on their toes, and beef producers in Oklahoma are debating an age-old ID technique for cattle. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Almost everyone is talking about the administration's plans to introduce big new tariffs. The New York Times says that after making good cuts on regulatory and taxes, President Trump has now turned to a part of his economic agenda that many of them fear. In fact, some administration officials appear almost giddy at the prospect of shaking up the system. Secretary of Trade Wilbur Ross, for example, said over the weekend that the tariff impacts on production costs would be modest. Now across the economy, there is growing worry about the imposing stiff and sweeping tariffs on steel and aluminum, as well as other items. The administration will ignite a trade war with other countries that could cause damage to American exporters. This could not only crimp economic growth, but undermine positive impacts for the administration, deregulation push, and its signature $1.5 trillion tax cut. The odds of such an outcome now appear to be rising, prompting congressional Republicans to push the president in public and in private to reconsider. Senator Ben Sass from Nebraska last week said... If the president goes through with this, it will kill American jobs. That's what every trade war ultimately does. For agriculture, possible retaliation from China on U.S. soybean exports has producers and ag leaders nervous. Sue Martin of Ag and Investments last week on the final bell said she isn't as worried about China retaliating.
3: I don't see it that way and I don't agree. Uh, You've got China looking at record production in pork and poultry, so protein is needed there. So with concerns over weather and what they'll be able to get out of South America, I think China's going to remain a good buyer. In fact, this morning there was talk that they had bought uh, two cargoes of soybeans out of the East Coast, mainly because they were pretty well tapped out in the Pacific Northwest and the Gulf, so they went to the East Coast to see if they could get some beans there. And that's for April-May shipment. But when you talk about uh, tariffs that President Trump has imposed, first off, 10% on aluminum, is that really very high? And 25% on steel? You know, everybody thinks China's the big dog in town, but i got to tell you, China is not even one of our top 10 exporters of steel to the U.S. And... Um, We note that Canada comes in as number one, which, by the way, here we are in NAFTA, but uh, they accounted for 56% of our steel that we took in between 2013 and 16. Russia was 8% and the United Arab 7%. So...
1: Reuters News Agency has released their top list of steel exporters to the U.S. in 2017. and a number one is Canada at 16.7%, Brazil's number two at 13.2%, and China doesn't show up until number 10, exporting 2.9% of the U.S. total steel imports. Canada has not brought the proposed tariffs to the WTO for investigation, but they do currently have 19 other WTO cases pending against the U.S. In other ag news, Oklahoma cattle producers are debating whether or not to have mandatory brand laws. Currently, Oklahoma has no statewide standard for livestock identification. The situation is frustrating special agent at the Oklahoma Department of Ag, Jerry Flowers, who says brands are obvious at sale stockyards, so cattle rustling cases would be fewer overall and quicker to resolve. He hopes that in the future, Oklahoma will have mandatory brand laws. On the other side of the conversation, Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association Executive Vice President Michael Kelsey agrees with Flowers and strongly supports voluntary branding. Kelsey points out that branding should only come as a personal choice. In Nebraska, currently seven counties have brand inspection, and the western two-thirds of the state have livestock investigators. I'm Clay Patton. Keep a straight row, and keep listening to the Rural Radio Network.
4: Chad Moyer with you here on the Rural Radio Network. Let's get an update from Midwest Dairy Association Nebraska Division. Chairman of the Nebraska Division is Lowell Mueller. He's a dairy producer from uh, Hooper, Nebraska area. Not only chair of Midwest Dairy Nebraska Division, but he also serves on the Midwest Dairy Corporate Board and uh, is also on a National Dairy Board as well. Uh, Thanks for visiting with us here today. Uh, Let's talk about, uh, we've heard it said a couple of times, the change in focus that Midwest Dairy is going through. The umbrella statement I think is consumer first. So tell me about this change in focus from your perspective Lowell.
5: Well there's a lot of things that have changed in the last few years and one of them is we want to really approach the consumer and and find out what their needs are so that's that's our main thrust and approach. Um, We've done some research we know that their tastes change Um, we're developing new products so, you know, that's, that's part of our program. You know, we need more research and product development, and that's ongoing. Also, our, our research is good for even international markets. So all that plays together.
4: Uh, I think it was about a year ago, the theme was rolled out, Undeniably Dairy. It was to talk about uh, the goodness and build this connection between dairy and, and consumers. Tell me how uh, Undeniably Dairy has gone over from your perspective.
5: Well, we've just about reached a year into the program and it's been a a smashing success. Um, This program is a little different than a lot of programs in that we have brought uh, processors together with dairy producers and consumers and it's the whole gamut that we're working on this time. And we've, we've got hundreds of processors and companies that are working with us and helping us promote. I think what we're seeing now today is that we have the need to all work together Mm -hmm. and we we need to find what the consumer wants and needs okay so do you see undeniably dairy
4: as kind of a springboard into this new focus area uh, putting consumers first giving the consumers the information that they want
5: i think so and it's also helping us tell our story you know that's that's the big key a consumer wants to hear about dairy producers so that gives us an avenue to do that. Yeah. And they—they they are really are seeking
4: information, aren't they, from from both sides and trying to make a decision.
5: Yes, they are. Uh, I think more than ever people want to know where their food comes from. You mentioned exports as a,
4: a place where we could spend a little bit more time and effort and, and, and see some return. Tell me about uh, uh, some of the efforts of getting U.S. dairy products abroad.
5: Well, a year ago, when we hired former Secretary Velsack as our CEO for U.S. DEC, he set a goal to have 20% of our U.S. production as exports, and we're, we've been running around 15%, so we've set strategies in place to try to in- increase that.
4: All right. So can you talk a little bit about that? How are we going to make that next 5% goal?
5: First, they did some research and tried to determine where our key areas where we maybe could improve in in exports. Um, We've changed how we have our development plans. We've put more people on the ground there. And we're also going to cooperate with, say, like universities and uh, for product development. They've hired nine new employees since the first of the year. I think two or three more in China, one in Japan, some in the Mideast. Also, Northern Africa is it maybe new territory that we're looking at that we think there's consumers that want dairy products.
4: Again, we've been visiting with Lowell Mueller. He is a dairy producer from Hooper, Nebraska, and is uh, the chairman of Midwest Dairy. Nebraska Division also sits on the corporate board for Midwest Dairy Association. Here on the Rural Radio Network,
0: Chad Moyer reporting. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports
2: with Jason Jorgenden. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, Nebraska rallied from a 7-2 deficit in the fourth inning as they had Wichita State its first loss of the season with a 10-9 victory in 10 innings yesterday in Wichita. In its last 15 Sunday games, Nebraska is actually 14-0-1, dating back to the 2016 season. Jesse Wilkening's go-ahead homer in the 10th inning proved to be the difference, and head coach Darren Erstad was glad to see the Huskers battle back.
6: The one thing we were able to do is, you know, they didn't put up many crooked numbers. or a lot of ones, and when you leave it limit to ones, and I think they only had one big inning, that's a big deal. I know they scored a lot of runs, but at the same time, there wasn't any monster innings after that one. And defensively, we made a couple mistakes that uh, would have been nice to get out of, but we have some moving parts on the field, and we have some people growing up on the fly.
2: Erstad made his comments on his post-game show on the Husker Sports Network. Nebraska managed to go 6-5 and five in its first 11 games, which were all on the road. Nebraska's home opener is scheduled for this Thursday afternoon, as they'll start a four-game series with Cal Poly. Husker wrestling team finished with seven total placers at the Big Ten tournament to finish in fifth place in the team standings with 72.5 points. Ohio State took the team title with 164. Penn State was second with 148. Northwest Missouri on the men's side and, surprisingly, Lindenwood on the women's side were the champs of the MIAA basketball tournament that wrapped up yesterday in Kansas City. Also, the Fort Hay State women have qualified for the NCAA tournament with their showing toward the tail end of the year. Well, veteran play-by-play announcer Vern Lundquist will not be calling NCAA tournament basketball games this year. CBS and Turner Sports announced their commentator teams today for the men's tournament, which starts next week. Jim Nance, Bill Rafferty, and Grant Hill will continue to announce the final four on the championship game. Lundquist, who's now 77, had been calling tournament games for CBS since 1998. He stopped calling the SEC football game of the week on CBS in the past, but still did the NCAA tournament and Masters golf last year. Lundquist had back surgery last fall and decided to step away from doing this year's tourney. Well, Kevin Harvick has earned a milestone victory at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. He followed up his stellar performance last weekend in Atlanta with another lopsided win in his Stuart Haas Racing Ford. He led for 209 of the 267 laps. He won all three stages and held off a late chart from local product Kyle Busch to win in Vegas for the second time in four years. And that is good Sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
6: I'm Dave Schroeder becoming windy today with patchy blowing dust this afternoon in western areas. the highs today ranging from thirty four to fifty one degrees I'm Dave Schroeder. a bill to require lawyers for juveniles statewide stalled last week due to a filibuster led by Senator Mike Roney, who says such laws mean more spending by smaller counties such as Lincoln County, which he represents since six years ago six six eleven twelve our juvenile court cost was in, we're about the, I don't know what county we are, we're, we're in the top ten population-wise. Our cost was $181,153, 150, $181,153. In six years, it's gone to 628000 a 347 percent increase. Our legislation has consequences. But Senator Patty Pansing brooks rejects the objections she's heard from smaller counties, such as...
3: Uh, this isn't necessary. We handle it just fine. We handle our own just fine. I, I actually had one person say, don't worry, we handle our own. You and Lancaster and Douglas and Sarpy have, you know, way different problems. I, I would ask you in Lexington, Nebraska, where 82% of the kids are Hispanic, which are
6: your own? The proposed change would require counsel to be appointed to the juvenile immediately when charged. It would then be up to the juvenile or the parents to request if the counsel continue or not at the first court hearing. Lawyers already required for juveniles in Douglas, Sarpy, and Lancaster counties. The legislature moved to the next item on the agenda without taking action on the bill. Records show that Kansas received at least eight reports that a three-year-old boy who was being abused in the year before his body was found encased in concrete. Kansas Department of Children and Families records shows that the agency was told that even Brewer's mother was regularly high on methamphetamine and was not feeding him good meals. His body was found in September. Forecasters are warning of a high risk of wildfires after one blaze burned 10,000 hay bales in the southwest part of Kansas Kansas Governor Jeff Collier signed an emergency disaster declaration on Sunday when the large bales burned a half-mile north of the Stevens County town of Moscow amid wind gusts of up to 50 miles per hour. This year's fire season follows two years of record-setting wildfires. Our app is a perfect companion to your phone. downloaded free in the App Store or Google Play. Reporting from the KRVN News Center... I'm Dave Schroeder. Mexico, looking at how
1: it grades and labels beef and how that could affect U.S. beef producers. I'm Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Joining us to talk about this and shed some light on what's going on is Joe Shealy, Vice President of Communications for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. And Joe, start off by just kind of touching base on what Mexico is trying to do here by changing how they grade and label beef.
7: Well, this issue first came to our attention last fall and uh, we're not particularly surprised or concerned that that Mexico wants to implement a beef grading system Uh, that's understandable Uh, they feel like that's a a step forward for their beef industry and we certainly have no issue with that Uh, but some of the particulars of their beef grading proposal their proposed regulations do concern us because uh, we feel that there is a, a high level of similarity in the grade names uh, compared to the USDA grading system. Uh, we feel there are some important differences in the names that the the grades that would parallel ours and that would contribute to confusion. We feel like there would be uh, a lot of potential for customer confusion, important differences between the uh, USDA grading system and the one Mexico is proposing that wouldn't necessarily be clear to, to buyers, either at the consumer level or at the wholesale level. And so that is an, an issue of concern for us. Uh, we filed comments in this proceeding back in December, just just before the holidays. And so we would hope to perhaps persuade Mexico's Department of Agriculture to make some changes from what they've proposed, picked up some industry support uh, for the comments that we filed. Uh, this was an issue that was uh, discussed at the Cattle Industry Convention a couple of weeks ago in Phoenix so there's there's growing interest in uh, in in the proceeding and in the position that USMEF has taken and certainly we're some were watching carefully and, and hope to uh, hope to perhaps influence some some change in in what Mexico has proposed
1: and so far has Mexico responded or uh, really changed its course any in its proceedings
7: well, not really, but the comment period just ended right around Christmas time. I, I would gather that they're reviewing comments and and they haven't announced any revisions yet, but I don't necessarily take that as a bad sign. Uh, in the normal course of things, we, we probably wouldn't have expected to, uh, to see any changes yet. But it's certainly something that our staff, uh, we have a, a technical services staff in Mexico that's watching it carefully. And hopefully we'll, we'll hear something this spring and have a, another opportunity to, uh, to perhaps uh, voice our concerns about, about, about the proposal.
1: And overall, does this really look to impact U.S. beef producers because exports could be harmed by this change in how Mexico labels their beef?
7: It's hard to say, but it's certainly uh, enough of a concern that that we want to get out in front of the issue. We do find that Mexico is a market where the the USDA grade and the uh, product of USA uh, certainly uh, certainly looked at as, as something of a mark of quality in Mexico. Uh we have a, a high level of, of voluntary uh labeling that we do, especially in the retail sector in Mexico, because we do find that Mexico cons- Mexican consumers like US beef, uh they're confident in US beef and, and in US pork as well. And so uh we do a, a high level of, of of labeling of the product and, and and uh point of purchase promotion of the product in Mexico and the grading system is is part of that confidence I believe I think uh, Mexican consumers do have an understanding of, of what those those quality grades hold and, and so we'd we'd rather not have uh, have to uh, reinvent the wheel so to speak and go back and, and educate them again on on the differences between uh, our grading system and, and the one in Mexico uh, Mexico is also uh, becoming a much uh, a much more aggressive player on the world stage as far as a, a beef exporter. Uh I wouldn't call I wouldn't say that they're a major beef exporter at this at this time, but they certainly aspire to be. Uh their main destination for Mexican beef is the United States, but they are uh becoming more of a player in in the Asian markets um you know, for both beef and pork. Uh, I think they certainly have aspirations of serving some of the other latin american markets and so we feel that again we we certainly don't have a problem with with mexico uh having a grading system and and attaching those grade labels to its product that's it's understandable that they would want to do that uh but we'd like to minimize any confusion between uh, mexican and us product that that might exist out in in some of these uh international markets
1: Wanting to make sure that consumers understand and that everybody's on the same page when it comes to beef labels, that's the U.S. Meat Export Federation stance. Joe Sheely, vice president of the communications, who we are just talking with, talking about how Mexico is pushing to make their beef grading system, uh, in some ways, look similar to the U.S., but there could be differences in there that could cause confusion. But it sounds like uh, U.S. Meat Export Federation and other ag. Uh, organizations are actively supporting to make sure that there are clear differences and that everybody understands just what all is going on. Joe, we thank you and continue listening to the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. As we take a look here at the closing livestock futures, we go to Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities for a little more commentary. Joe, a strong close to end the first day of the trading week.
8: Yeah, we had some triple-digit gains and uh, all the uh, livestock contracts, not not entirely, but, I mean, in every sector we had uh, some triple-digit gains. In the cattle, uh, basically uh, most everything, just uh, over a buck higher, and, uh, and the feeders uh, moving in on a buck and a half higher. And then over in the hogs, uh, uh, just over a dollar higher in the first three months, so pretty good day and i think a lot of it has to do with the uh, fact that uh uh, the uh, trade wars that everybody was talking about might be easing back a a bit uh, based upon uh, some commentary out of washington so that helped and it was kind of the one of the reasons we had uh, kind of a a, a tough day on friday and uh, so that relieved a little uh, of the pain uh, of friday uh, the uh, other thing is cut, cutouts on uh, both the cattle and the hogs were higher, so that uh, that also helped at noon. Cash hogs uh, seemed to be uh, trading higher. They didn't hear of any cash trading the cattle, but uh, the fact that we were pretty much steady uh, throughout the week last week, I think gave uh, some promise that maybe... Uh, Things aren't all that bad. and uh, So we uh, end up with a pretty good start to the week, and we'll see if we follow through tomorrow.
1: That's Joe Teal there with Great Plains Commodities. For more information, call 1 800 328 0134. Again, a strong close in today's livestock futures on the Rural Radio
9: Network. I'm Bruce Corder on the Rural Radio Network. Well, now that Bill Northey has been approved for the Senate to move to the USDA, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds has appointed Deputy Secretary of Agriculture Mike Nag to replace him for the remainder of this term. I talked to Mike on Friday, and
10: he is ready to go. I'm just excited about the opportunity. I'm, I'm appreciative of the confidence that Governor Reynolds has uh, placed in me to take on this role and just really excited to hit the ground running.
9: What's your vision for the department as you go forward, Mike?
10: First things first, we need to make sure that we uh, have a smooth transition here as Secretary Northey departs for Washington and and just make sure that we're doing the right things for our stakeholders and our customers and our leadership team and employees here. And then really just making sure that we are – continuing to deliver on the, the mission of the Department of Agriculture, which is to protect consumers, to protect our natural resources, and uh, promote Iowa agriculture here and around the world. So, you know, that's that's the mission, and that's what we're going to make sure we're focused on here as we move through the transition. Now, you've been Deputy
9: Secretary of Agriculture since 2013, uh, so you've got uh, some pretty good experience in the office. Uh, what are you most proud of in that time?
10: I've had a great opportunity, right, to watch uh, – to watch my friend and mentor, Bill Northey, uh, really from uh, uh, the closest seat that you can, right, and, as Deputy Secretary, and so that's just given me a great opportunity to watch what it takes and, and how to approach the job, and, and even I've had a chance, you know, as Deputy to really dig into the operations and the details of the department, but also had a chance to travel the state and interact with folks. And uh, so that's just been a tremendous opportunity. I think, uh, you know, when looking back over those, uh, you know, four and a half uh, plus years here, certainly I think, uh, you know, we're I'm most proud of the effort that we've uh, put forward and the, and the things that we're seeing happening on water quality and the way that we're moving in, in you know, in the right direction there. I think that's uh, that's a big one. And I think the things that we've done uh, on animal disease response preparedness too, in you know in the aftermath of a two thousand and fifteen high path AI uh, outbreak, you know just doing some things to apply those lessons learned those are really two of the top of mind things that uh that i 've been really proud of.
9: you kind of answered this uh, Mike, but what was it like working with and for bill northy
10: well, you know i Literally, uh, you know, ten feet away uh, uh, from his desk, and and uh, have just enjoyed the opportunity to really watch him uh, behind the scenes, and and again understand what the right approach is, and how to how to treat the situations, and and just uh, how to how to bear that responsibility, and and uh, you know, so I've I've just had a chance to see that and see his passion for Iowa and uh... his enjoyment of traveling the state and again then i've had an opportunity to to do that myself and and that's that's probably one of the most enjoyable parts of this job is the opportunity to travel to see some of the great things that are happening across the state to connect with people um, that's really enjoyable. That's, and, we, and we need to learn something every day, right? Uh, and I think that's, uh, that's one of the other great benefits and great perks of being in the job is you get to continue to learn.
9: Now, the job is yours until Election Day, Mike. Have you decided yet if you are going to run again for the position?
10: Right. So yesterday I was appointed to to fill out the uh, Secretary North's current term, which ends next January. But you're right. There's a there's an election coming. And uh, so yes, in fact, I did this morning announce that I am formally entering the race for Secretary of Agriculture, and uh, there'll be a there'll be a primary election June five, uh, June 5th, and then uh, hope to be in the general election uh, for November.
9: That's newly appointed Iowa Secretary of Agriculture Mike Nag, and I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network.
1: Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Join now with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grains. And John, as we take a look to the grain screen, green, 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 picking up all those losses that we saw towards the end of late last week.
11: Yeah, really good start to the week here, uh, you know, led by wheat. Wheat almost... Fifteen off its lows at one point, uh, almost seventeen off its lows. Beans closing at a new high here, and just uh, I call continued battle for acreage, weak dollar, you know, weather markets. A lot of factors here blowing at the back of the grain markets, and uh, it looks to be uh, another positive week at least until we get into the bulk of the crop data that'll come out at the end uh, Thursday and beyond.
1: And then even looking at some of the outside markets and more, the Trump talk on these tariffs and stuff—is that dying down a little bit? Is that giving some confidence back to traders?
11: i've gotten I've gotten a lot of calls- not just from from clients but from media today about that and I mean I understand like on the margins all of this stuff should be worrisome but this is not uh this is not a news flash and this is not anything that's never been done before It was done in twenty sixteen it was done in the middle of twenty sixteen before Trump was president. Both presidential candidates ran on this kind of of you know an idea that we were going to try to help U.S. producers when we can, and essentially it's worked. And last night China came out and they reduced their steel production, so it's going to raise their prices. So, I'm going to be honest, secretly they might not be that disappointed about it. The people who are disappointed are the people who use use steel. So if you're a producer of anything that involves steel, you're the one squawking about this, and that's why I think the media is up in arms. Obviously the Trump talk, everybody who's against that, uh, you know, certain. You know the president in general. I mean, this is just fuel for them. But in reality, if you back things off a little bit, it doesn't change anything, and it certainly doesn't affect NAFTA, in my opinion. NAFTA is something that uh, you know livestock producers might need to be concerned with. But from a grain perspective, especially when you're looking at corn and wheat, where, where's Mexico going to go? They're going to go to the U.S. They can't go to Argentina anymore. Brazil might be a market for them, but if Mexico moves their demand down there, you're looking at prices in Brazil going up. So it makes U.S. corn more productive and more more incentive for for other people to buy. So at this point. if china's not gonna buy beans all around well then there's a concern but you gotta have that you know money talks and bs walks And at this point they've been doing nothing but but buying over the last decade and until that flows i think to, to think that uh... you know steel tariffs are gonna keep them from uh... feeding their herds is, is a little bit of a stretch in my opinion
1: and then john as we take a look in soybeans any technical points we need to be worried about where we uh... main new highs
11: no, I mean, really, I look at $11 being tested on the front month, probably a good target, ten eighty on that NOV. In fact, I, I really think if you're looking at a bearish report in the next couple of days, July and the old crop is where it breaks. I don't think new crop is going to have any movement down until we get through this acreage announcement. That's not till the end of the month.
1: All right, that's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. For more information, go to DanielsAgMarketing.com.